You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Going to spend the rest of November in this mini preaching series, uh, cultivating a heart of thanksgiving. And you and I have plenty of opportunities throughout our day to grumble, to be unthankful, uh, to lack gratitude, and pulling us in this opposite direction from things that cause us to grumble are the blessings of God meant to stir within us a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude. And these two pull at each other, this disposition to be bothered by everything, to grumble, to be unsatisfied, and then God's desire to pull us in another direction, to reflect on his blessings, to be thankful. And I, I want you to think, what's your, what's your normal disposition? What's your default disposition? Is it complaining or thanksgiving? What's the ambient noise kind of following you around throughout the day? Is this... this buzz of being annoyed and bothered by everything that you hear and see and encounter, or is it one of gratitude? Uh, just ask your spouse uh, what it is. Uh, they'll tell you. Ask your friend. <laughs> ask your coworker. Um, would people nearest to you characterize you as a complaining person or a thankful person? Um, am I getting under your skin right now? Are, are you about to grumble right now and say, just get on with it. Stop talking about me. Um, <clears throat> Psalm 107 gives us a great picture of why we are to be grateful, a great cause for thanksgiving. And I want to read it together. Uh, I'll read the first 32 verses of Psalm 107, and then we will spend some time talking about it. Psalm 107. Still in Joshua. Okay, there we go. Move to Tassel. Okay. 107, starting in verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things." Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurred to the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction." 
Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storms be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. This is God's word. Today we're reading Psalm 107, and like many of the Old Testament Psalms, there's a dual meaning in these Psalms. The first perspective is from the time and context of the Old Testament. It's describing things that happened to the people of God. It's describing things that that they experienced in their lives. And a second perspective is this reinterpretation in light of of the light of the realities of Christ and his work and his um, acts of blessing to us in light of the New Testament and all that God has revealed to us through Jesus. And here are four situations, if you've noticed, four situations that describe these subjects in today's psalm that were delivered. And because they were delivered, they have great cause for thanksgiving. Here are the four. One, they were lost in the desert. Second, they were bound in prison. Third, they were dying um, on their deathbed. And then fourth, they were shipwrecked and lost at sea. These four dire situations that really happened to people and they cried out to God and God delivered them. And maybe, just maybe one of these things has happened to you, but probably not. Uh, These are, you're looking at these situations, you've likely never been delivered uh, from one of these kinds of troubles Yet these situations don't just describe a physical predicament that we are in from which God literally delivered them from, but Jesus tells us that these are also spiritual predicaments from which we must be delivered as well. These situations uh, describe types of problems that you and I encounter every day. Types of problems that the love of God meets us in where we are problems that we need to call out to God for help and see his deliverance. And when we do, it stirs in us thanksgiving. We have so much to be grateful for. And everything in this passage hinges on this one Hebrew word. It's a word introduced in verse one. It's repeated in this refrain throughout this psalm and repeated so much in the Old Testament psalms. It is the Hebrew word hesed is a one word that translates into our English as steadfast love, loyal love. God's hesed love is a defining feature of his nature and character. This feature of God, this one word that describes so much of God's character and identity, it is so foundational, so basic of who he is that it could be described and defended from scripture 
to be the singular characteristic that defines the very reason why God does everything that he does because of this one characteristic, his hesed, steadfast love. It means so much. It means merciful and faithful, steadfast. It means loyal and righteous and just. Here translated as steadfast love, maybe loyal love in your Bible. I like the way it is translated most of all in the children's book, the Jesus Storybook Bible, translated in this way. It is God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. This is why God does everything that he does because of this one identity marker of who he is. And it is this characteristic that meets us in our variety of struggles in our life. Let's look at these four struggles where God's hesed love, his steadfast love shows up and how his steadfast love continues to show up in our struggles today. First, God's steadfast love meets us where we feel lost, tired, and empty and don't know where to find rest. The Hebrew people were desert dwellers. We know of this, they're desert dwellers, so it's strange for a Hebrew to feel this way, to feel lost in the desert and disconnected from their home, but it's easy to find yourself out in the middle of nowhere in the desert. You've probably been there before. There's so much of Arizona where you're driving around and, and you're just in the middle of nowhere. Our kids have learned that phrase. Uh, we're in the middle of nowhere. When the, you know, the, the, not Bluetooth, but the hotspot goes off in the car, they just say, are we in the middle of nowhere? And we say, yes, you are. We're in the middle of nowhere. We have, it's, we are disconnected. But the desert was their home. The desert was their place they lived. And yet this situation describes a, a situation where they're still lost, hungry, thirsty, tired, going about their life. There was no place to rest. No place, to, no city in which to call their home to find shelter. They'd run out of food and run out of water. They were hopelessly lost and in need of rescue. They're out of supplies, out of hope, and almost out of life. But one thing they did have was prayer. And they cried out to God. And in verse 6 tells us that they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. And God, in his steadfast, loyal love, leads them to safety, satisfies their hunger, quenches their thirst, and gives them a place to rest and be strengthened in their weariness. God is able to meet our needs wherever we are. Maybe you are lost in the desert. Nothing drastic has happened. Nothing catastrophic has happened in your life. You haven't lost everything. You just feel really tired. You feel really overwhelmed. You're just so weary. You're going through the motions of life keeping things together. This is your home. You haven't been ripped out of your home. You're just in the midst of it and you feel just this hunger and thirst in your soul. You're unsatisfied and you're wondering, am I ever going to just be at peace? Life is just so hard. You feel dehydrated in your heart. You're tired. And maybe you feel that the only way out of that season of 
hunger and thirst and weariness and dehydration is just figure it out to work harder, to fight for it, to try harder, to be smarter, just to make better choices. Maybe there's that, that one thing that you just need to get or do or accomplish where you'll feel you can finally rest. But you don't know. You can't even see the city. You're so lost. You can't even see the city skyline or the direction in which to go. And that is these people. They're in the desert, familiar to where they live, but just tired. And they don't know where to find rest. And Jesus announces the end of this kind of hunger, this end of this kind of thirst and spiritual weariness that comes from just carrying burden that we have of needing to be in control of everything in our life. Just tired. Jesus is the one who satisfies, but he satisfies us how? He's talking about our cravings. He's talking about the things that we long for, the the longing in our heart for meaning and purpose and connection, joy and peace. And we know no matter how much we eat, cravings will always come back. We'll find that out next Thursday, right? You can eat 10,000 calories on Thanksgiving and you will be hungry again. It'll render you immobile for a couple hours, but eventually you will be renewed in strength and you'll say, I'm hungry again. And we know what it's like to have this tireless physical appetite. And we're pointed to this reality that we also have this tireless, emotional, spiritual, relational, soul level appetite that we long to have filled that is not satisfied by anyone but God. We have a craving to be loved. That, God cannot, that, that cannot be fully satisfied except by God? Why do some remain in manipulative and abusive relationships? Because we have God-given craving to be loved, and we long for this satisfaction, even if it means remaining in dysfunctional relationships. We have a craving to be ones who are approved as, as worthy that cannot be fully satisfied outside of Jesus. Why do we become workaholics or bury ourselves in projects at home late into the evening? Because we have a God-given craving to be as approved as one who is not a failure, as one who can get things done, as one is reliable and trustworthy. So we look for success in a way to find that we are worthy and important. We have cravings for acceptance. Why do we sometimes give in to peer pressure? Or let our convictions slide because we have a God-given craving to be accepted, even if that acceptance is conditional upon people's approval. You see, Psalm 107 is, is putting its finger on the reality that you and I have hunger pains that only the steadfast love of God can satisfy. Jesus comes along and says, I am the bread and I am this drink. I am this bread and I am this drink that will satisfy you. God's steadfast love sent Jesus into the world to be in control so we don't have to be. He's the one who came into the world that did everything perfectly that God asked him to so that when we fail, we can still be satisfied as if we have done everything right. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never be hungry and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We say this all the time. See, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you exhausted? 
Now, of course, there is a, a physical weariness that comes from just laboring. But I want you to consider, is there another level, is there a motivator in your heart that is causing you to engage in a frenzy of activity based upon a desire to be loved, a desire to be accepted, a desire to feel worthy and important, and you're just tired of it, and you just want to rest. It's like wandering in a desert, thirsty and hungry, with no place to lay our head. And Jesus comes along, and he satisfies that when we cry out to him. It is his steadfast love, his love that says, never give up. I will always be enough for you. I will never fail you. I will never leave your side. God's steadfast love meets us when we're lost and tired and weary. And here's number two. Here's the second story. God's steadfast love meets us when our own rebellion gets us into trouble. You see, verses four to nine describe the desert, the desert dweller who is now kind of lost in the desert, thirsty and dehydrated and without a home. And verses 10 to 16 describe the prisoner who's locked up in a jail cell. It's another kind of struggle. And why is this person locked up? Falsely accused? Nope. <laughs> this person is there as a rebellious lawbreaker. Uh, this person is locked up on their, in their own doing. They broke the law, and now they sit in shadows. We we're told that they're sitting like in the corner of this, this concrete dungeon with cold metal shackles on their wrists and ankles in the corner, and they cry out to God for help, and God takes them out of darkness and brings them into the light and breaks open the iron doors that keep them in prison. You see, this describes a situation when we have our spirits broken, when we have been alienated due to the consequences of our own sins. We're in that prison because of our choices, and it feels like hard labor, as verse 12 says. We, are, we, we have been brought to this shame and guilt of just hard labor, working so hard, right, rotting in a jail cell. But what do these prisoners do? They cry out to God. They pray. Just like the, the people wandering in the desert, they pray. And God delivers them. He delivers them. He breaks their iron bonds. He brings them out of the dark shadows and into the light. Nothing short of making a prisoner free. That is what God does. If you feel like you are a prisoner uh, to your own sin, to your own past sins, your past failures and mistakes and bad choices, God's steadfast love meets you exactly where you are. He breaks even the prison bars. He calls you out of that shame and that guilt and that prison in your own heart. The situation for us, I think, represents this darkness of the soul that weighs down by shame and condemnation because of sin. It is this punishment that we feel because of the failure to live obediently to God. And we feel shame for who we are and what we've done. We feel guilt because of our sins. We feel condemned by him. And we cannot free ourselves. It's like we have been thrown into prison and they've thrown away the key. We don't have the key 
to open up that prison to let us out. And this prisoner teaches us a valuable lesson. No matter how great your sin is, cry out to the Lord and he will set you free. No matter what you have done, no matter what consequences in which you now live, no matter what pains you feel and guilt that you feel, cry out to God and he will set you free. Jesus bore the guilt of our sin and shame and condemnation when he died on the cross. He was condemned as a sinner, yet he was perfectly sinless, never committing any wrong. He took our place as a convicted criminal so that we could take his place as free and forgiven. Romans 8, 1 through 3 reminds us, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. You see, our past sins tend to make us feel guilty and shame and condemnation. And we think to ourselves, well, breaking the law got me into prison keeping the law is going to get me out. And that's a rational way to think about it. My mistakes got me here, so changing my life is going to get me out. But the Bible through and through says that's not how it works. We become imprisoned by breaking the law, but keeping the law does not get us out because we're all lawbreakers. We need someone to come into our life who is righteous. We need the judge to come to the jail cell and to open it up for us. We need the one to then take our place. We need someone who has that key and it's steadfast love that meets us right where we are when we feel condemned. Maybe that's where you are, living in a prison of your own failures, living in a prison of your own mistakes and thinking about all the things you should have done in your life and could have done and now living in the shame of where you are today and thinking if I only would have done it differently. And you feel that pain, you feel that darkness, you feel that condemnation. Cry out to God and he releases us and makes us free, no longer bound to those past sins. God meets us here, frees us from this. And third, he also meets us In this way, God's steadfast love meets us when we become destructively self-absorbed. So we have the ones who are wandering in the desert. We have the ones who are thrown in prison. And now we have the ones who are sick and dying on their deathbed. What is described here sounds like this physical illness. It's a kind of illness that is a result of a foolish lifestyle. They, it, it, they've, been ruin, they've ruined themselves for years and decades of a result of a habitual determination to indulge in foolish and self-destructive lifestyle. And it's so easy to look at these people and say, well, they are suffering as a result of their own choices. They decided to make those choices. They have now, they're now living out the consequences of it, and that's just how it works. This context calls to mind the addict It calls to mind drug addiction and alcohol addiction and shopping addiction and sex addiction and self-destructive habits that hurt ourselves and people around us. God's true and steadfast love breaks into that as well. Here's what we know of God's love. When he responds, he doesn't just bring forgiveness, but he brings healing. 
It is one thing to be brought out of a lifestyle and yet another thing to be brought out of a lifestyle and then healed from the inside out to make better choices, to recover what has been lost. When God responds, he heals us. Soon those who were sick are now made well and now know the joy of what it feels like to recover from a sickness. Those first few days when that sickness that keeps you in bed breaks and you start to get your energy back and then you start to feel stronger, those first few days are so, so wonderful. What a blessing. God heals the sick. He heals the sick. Jesus comes assuring us that he comes not for the healthy, but the sick. The one, and when he says this, he's drawing attention to the reality that none of us have appetites that are exactly where they need to be. All of us are sick. All of us have misplaced appetites. Luke 5, 31, 32 says this, and Jesus answers them, the Pharisees, by saying, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to be, or sinners to repentance. You see, at the very, at the very best, you and I just merely limp along in this life half crippled by the sickness of our self-pity, the sickness of our anger and discouragement and inflated egos, we can be healed so much further if we cry out to God to bring his love deep into our hearts. Not just to change our behaviors of self-destruction and self-pity and addiction, but to change us for the, the very reason we do anything the very desires that we pursue, crying out to God, and we become like those who are sick into those who are healed. This is what God's loyal, steadfast love does. Well, finally, the, the last group of people is my personal favorite, and I think the most thrilling of all, the drunk shipwrecked sailors drowning on the sea. It's in the Bible. Well, who are these people? I already told you that the Hebrew people were desert dwellers, right? They have no business being on the water. They have no business like faring out there on the sea. They don't have their sea legs. You've seen how Tucson drive in the rain? You, you see it. It, it. It's just anarchy. It's just complete chaos. What is this stuff falling? We don't know what to do. Um, I have seri I, I've seriously gotten texts when it's raining on a Sunday morning asking if we still have church because it's raining. Don't do that. Stop sending me those texts. Yes, yes, we have church. Don't get me going if it snows. Oh my goodness. It's like rain is one thing. Snowing in Tucson, it's like people, we don't know this. This isn't what we do. Last winter, we were up north and we were caught in a snowstorm and my, my Arizona-born wife says, are you, are you okay driving through this? And I'm like, honey, born in Ohio. Yeah, I got this. You lean, you turn into the skid, you know. Anyway, for the Hebrew people, the sea was um, the most terrifying place. Uh, the sea, for the Hebrew people, even was a metaphor for life. In such a way that when the seas were calm and the sky was pleasant, life was good and demonstrated God's love and favor and kindness to them, 
And when there were rough seas and troubled skies, they felt the judgment of God on them. The sea was a metaphor for life and a gauge for them as to the trouble that they were facing. The sea was a monster that caused kinds of fear in them that nothing else could stir. They were desert dwellers, and when the sea was violent, they became desperate people. We see this throughout the scriptures. We, we, they realize how truly helpless and hopeless that they are. The storms of life, the real devastating struggles of life, Shatter the illusion that you and I can do anything to fix it. When we really enter into a struggle like this, it shatters our illusion that we're in control. It is the kind of struggle where the bottom of your life falls out and you face an enemy that you know you cannot challenge. The sea was like this for the Hebrew people. And you know what it's like. You, you, the sea can be beautiful, but have you ever been on the water and you feel the, how strong the water is and how it can move your boat or your, your, your ship and how it can just crush anything in its path? The damage that water can do when you're on the water and the waters are troubled, you realize you are at the mercy of the sea and there's nothing that you can do. Life's troubles will sink us if we are on our own. Maybe you remember the story in Luke 8 when a group of Hebrews were in a boat and Jesus' disciples and they encountered a storm and Jesus is in the boat and he's sleeping and the young men are screaming in fear. The picture that is painted here are these grown men losing their minds, thinking that they are going to die. Again, they had this vision of the sea and this sea where it was the biggest nightmare and scariest thing that they've ever known. And Jesus wakes up and he simply just sends the, the winds and the waves to die down and immediately we're told that it is calm like glass on the water. And the men say to one another, who is this that he commands even the winds and the water obey him? Who is this? that can face our greatest nightmare and it just obeys him like it's nothing. You see, God's steadfast love can even come into these worst of all circumstances and the worst experiences in our life that bring us trouble. And God will do one of two things when he comes into those biggest storms in our life. One, he will remove the storm altogether or he will enable us to walk through it with us and never leave our side. He'll take the storm away or he will say, I am walking with you in this storm and you will be okay. He will never take, he will never tell us to take on the storm of our life. He will never say, you got yourself into this. You have to figure out a way out of it. He never tells us this is a mess, but it's a mess of your own doing. And you just need to figure out how to get out of it because we never have to be alone in it. Remember another story where Jesus, here he calms the storm, but another he lets the storm rage on. And he walks on water and he tells Peter, join me out in this storm. 
come out and be with me. And Peter starts and then his faith becomes weakened and he sinks down and Jesus says, why did you doubt that I'm the Lord of the storm? And sometimes I'll calm the storm and sometimes I'll let the storm go on, but I am here with you and you will never have to walk through it alone. Which of these four stories are you in right now? Which struggle, which, which problem? Are you lost and tired? I mean, you're going through the motions. You're okay. There's no crisis. Man, you're just, you're so unsatisfied. You just want more and you don't know what that more is and you don't know how to get that more. Are you the person in the prison of shame of your own doing? Are you one just living out the patterns of just your sinful consequence? Feel like you're in prison, you feel forgotten, you feel friendless and and just locked up and you just don't know how to get out and you're and you're looking at the bars and you're like these are iron bars there's no way to get out. Are you self-absorbed and heartsick? Are you embroiled in a a kind of self-destructive appetite? You keep running to foolish habits and attitudes that are making you feel sick all the time? Or are you in the storm of your life? The waves are just crashing on you and you're saying, I'm taking on too much water and I don't think I'm going to make it through. Those are going to provide for you many opportunities to grumble to be upset, to complain. And you're going to feel justified in them because you're going to say, look at all these bad things that could have gone differently and you're going to be disappointed and you're going to grumble and you're going to be unthankful. But we are told that the steadfast love of God provides endless reasons for us to be thankful even in the midst of those troubles. Why? Here's why. Because the sin in our life sends us to wander in the desert that makes us thirsty and hungry, tired and lonely. And Jesus finds us and he gives us something to eat and he gives us something to drink and he gives us relationship and he gives us a home and he shows us where to go to find rest. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Sin sentences you and I to this spiritual death penalty and locks us up in prison, and Jesus bears our guilt, and he breaks the chains of sin, and he sets us free. Sin makes us sick, relationally, emotionally, physically at times, and Jesus takes this sickness of shame upon himself when he dies on the cross. Sin causes the bottom of our life to fall out, and it thrusts us into a storm where we are completely out of control and Jesus never leaves our side. This is the steadfast, loyal love of God. We can be thankful because we know that there is absolutely never situation that you and I can find ourselves in, nor a temptation that you can succumb to that will put you out of reach of the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love of God. Whether it is just weariness and loneliness or if it is the fight of your life 
none of these become obstacles too big for the hesed, faithful love of God. But who are those who get to claim this love of God for themselves? We're told clearly in this psalm and many others, it is the redeemed people of God. It's ones who look at their situation, see their need, see their lack, see their desperation, and they cry out to God for help. And there's no hesitation of God to rush into that chaos and to rescue them. The ones who get to claim the hesed love of God are the ones who see their dire situation and reach out their hands to the one who can provide help. And God rescues them, the ones who know that they need rescuing. The psalm says, think about the steadfast love of God. So much to say, like, think about it right now in the struggle that you carried in here today with. The struggle that no one knows about is the struggle that just, you just feel in a rut or you feel, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if anyone could ever understand what I'm going through. Think about the love of God that never ends. Cry out to him. Think of it now and be thankful that you have it because you cried out to Jesus. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.